Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast, and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our Ecom show. And now we are getting really close to 250 episodes. And uh, today I'm here with a special guest because this is her second time being uh, in this podcast. Chloe Thomas from, uh, from England. And uh, she's, a, she's a great e-commerce expert and she hosts actually two podcasts. One is the e-commerce master plan. And the other one is Keep Optimizing. You can check these out. I will put these into the description. Hey, Chloe, I'm really happy to have you here. How hey, are Dan, you? It's, it's good. Oh, well, I'm, I'm quite full of cold. So sorry for the slightly weird voice and the fact I may have to mute myself to blow my nose at some point during this or cough. But no, generally, other than that, I'm pretty good. And it's lovely to be back here on, on your podcast for the second time. Amazing. And... Uh, of course, no worries. I mean, this is a live stream. People, they know it. So we keep it real here. So <laughs> today we will focus on e-commerce tech and trends because this is the last month of 2023. Mm -hmm. So next year is almost here. Time just flies so fast. So before that, I know you don't use some forms of transportation uh -huh. and uh, especially you don't fly. No. Um, I think last time when we talked, I told you that I fly to the US a few times a year and you said you, you don't fly, you use trains or buses or you know, other uh, types of transportation. So what's the, what's the reason of that? Um, it's, it's a sustainability reason for, you know, for the absolute basic of it. And it's a decision uh, myself and my husband took in mid-2019 just before I flew to Australia and back, uh, we kind of took the decision. And then my brother, who was living in Australia at the time, A, announced he was going to be leaving Australia and B, invited the whole family over to Australia for Christmas. So that would have caused so many eruptions had I said no, uh, that I did go and do that. But that's the last flight I will probably ever take, I reckon. Um, so the decision was based on the fact that A, it's hideous for the environment taking a flight b um a, a, a minuscule percentage of the world's population have ever actually got on a plane so it's kind of like yeah you know you have white privilege you have the hideousness of being british pri privilege uh, let's not get into that do you know any percentage um, that would be very interesting like... it's i think it's six percent of the world's population wow. have ever got on a plane it's it's unbelievably tiny it's definitely less than 20 percent. but i must look that percentage up because i um i forget it so it's kind of like well i've already used up my quota of flights in life um so that you know there's kind of like the, the two biggest parts the third was i like to find sustainability topics which jog someone's thinking 
like I don't want to go out there and go Daniel you must never fly again you know it's your choice but what I want to do is to go well this is why I don't do it you know and you like you're having chats with friends and they go oh yeah we're off to Mauritius this summer where are you off to I'm like I'm going to Loo it's an hour up the road and it's beautiful and we can drive there why aren't you going somewhere else oh well because we don't fly anymore oh and it just jars someone's thinking into going oh right oh maybe maybe we could not do that like this earlier this year we went down to the south of France which Mm-hmm. was a, basically two days on trains to get there but it was lovely and it worked really well but it and you didn't you know other people people were like why don't you fly it's like well because we don't want to fly um and to be honest I always found flying quite a faffy way to travel you know it's like you yeah. you could only put certain things in your suitcase and there's this and there's a lot of waiting around and then there's being stuck in a seat next to people whereas I much prefer traveling by train so to be honest I don't really miss it um and, you know, like there's huge parts of the UK I've never explored and huge parts of Europe I've not explored. And you can do all of that without getting on a plane. So for me, I don't I mean, I mean the caveat to all of this is I no longer have any relatives who don't live in the UK. So okay. that makes it quite easy to do. I can do 90 percent of my business life without needing to fly anywhere. So it, it is relative in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty easy for me to give up flying, I should say as well. But I like the fact it's something which hopefully just jars other people into going, oh, maybe we should cut down on the amount of flying we do. Maybe we could do a flight free year or a flight free five years or go flight free forever or, or halve the number of flights we take. And it's just kind of sparking that discussion. So the three reasons for doing it, one, our carbon impact, two, um, the privilege part. I've already used up my quota of, of air miles. And three, the fact it can spark conversations like this. So thank you very much for asking me about it. Yeah, I, I um, also, I really like trains, traveling by train. Um, and I, I remember in Thailand, I, um, I spent, I think, more than a half a day on a train. We traveled from Bangkok to Chiang Mai in the north. Oh, wow. That was amazing you know, across the jungle. And then I did something similar in Romania and here in Eastern Europe. Um, once I did this in England from London to Scotland as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like trains and, and biking. Um, and the, I agree that, yeah, going to the airport and all of that process is just a hassle. And uh, yeah. yeah, not a fan, but... Uh, <laughs> I still do it, especially to the US because of business. So, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, um, I have turned down speaking opportunities. I turned one down last mm-hmm. year in Tallinn, was invited to speak in Tallinn. And the trains kind of stop at Berlin. And then there was an 18 hour bus journey. I was like, that's that's above and beyond what I'm willing to do <laughs> to be at a conference. So I turned that one down and it's become a... I'm pondering it a little bit more now I've taken over e-commerce tech, which historically has been a very US focused business. And maybe I should make it to the US and go to a US conference. I think if I was still flying, I definitely would be planning that for next year. Um, But now I'm considering it a bit more. It definitely isn't going to happen next year, but maybe maybe I'll find another way to get there. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us more about e-commerce tech? 
Yeah, sure. So it's it's a marvelous website. I know I know it's mine, so I would say that. There's a marvelous website that lists um like a directory of loads of e-commerce tech um and gives you the insights you can make good decisions. So the retailer can, or the brand can make good decisions about what technology they're going to put in place, how they're going to build their tech stack. What we're going to be doing next year is building out an awful lot more content to help you make that decision, you know, things to consider, guides to purchasing this, guides to purchasing that. We haven't quite got there yet, but that's very firmly on the cards for next year. So it's this this, this phenomenal resource of information about these, these different pieces of tech. And um, at the moment, we are kind of we're doing a whole lot of housekeeping at the moment and then we've got lots of big plans for next year so anyone who's watching who's, who's who knows the e-commerce tech site and is like oh i wish they'd do this or i wish they'd add that um let me know because now's a great time to send me your ideas for what we should be doing doing with the site to make it more useful to brands and to retailers because that's you know it exists to help them build a better tech stack to help them you know to be the foundation of their growth plans yeah, so what, so what would be the primary purpose here? Basically, educa education of the whole e-commerce ecosystem, putting yeah, out I mean, valuable information. Everything I do across all the stuff I run, the podcast, the books, mm -hmm. and now e-commerce tech, is about helping e-commerce brands and e-commerce marketers make better decisions, which from my experience comes down to two things. It's one, knowing what what other people are up to what what are my options what's you know you know we have this feeling as an e-commerce practitioner that the grass is always greener that everybody else knows about a marketing method you've never heard about or they know about a tech stack approach that you've never heard about so it's kind of like providing that information and that inspiration but it's also helping people understand how to make the decision so how do you find the right affiliate software how do you decide what the right email marketing platform is is for you how do you decide whether or not you should be doing sms marketing because that's more of a marketing than a tech piece so that's the the aim of the site at the moment we're great at the here's the smorgasbord of what's out there we're not doing such a good job on how do i work out what should be in my tech stack how do i work out um what everyone else is using in their tech stack and that sort of thing. So that's what we're going to be really focused on building out next year. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, e-commerce tech uh, as a whole. So um, what's your opinion where technology has been going recently uh, when it comes to e-commerce? Um, and also, uh, yeah, I'm curious if, if we can say that it became more important than five or 10 years ago or, or, or not really, because e-commerce has always been a tech focus. I mean, technology has always, because it's e-commerce, right? So, yeah. yeah. What do you I think? Mean, oh, there's some, some brilliant questions there, Daniel. I think you've asked me about three or four. Where to start? Um, I think I think where, where the tech fits in terms of the success of an e-commerce business is it's less critical than it used to be. I, I've been in the industry for almost 20 years now, and I clearly remember about 15 years ago going to see someone. And at the time, I was running an agency that did marketing services for mail order brands. They were a, they were a tailor in the UK that did a yeah. lot of sales via mail order, and they had their website. And they built their they had the website, and they built a new website, and they put it live, and their conversion rate had gone through the floor. It had fallen off. And it was like, I was like, well, this seems a bit crazy. What what happened? They went, try and check out. 
I spent 10 minutes trying to check out on their website. Mm couldn't work out how to do it and I mean like I was trying every trick in the book refresh go to an incognito tab add a second product change the you know alter something about to see if I could manage to let it check check out you couldn't do it so I said well, why haven't you just rolled back to the old site oh the developers deleted it which is just mind-blowing it's mm. just and they'd they paid 20 30 000 pounds to build this new site and it didn't check out and that back then the wrong technology choice could destroy or build your business because we were in such an early stage. It was very easy to screw something up. It was very easy yeah. to take a step ahead of the um, of the competition by building an email welcome sequence. Unbelievable, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> Even just five years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now, I think the problem has become has almost flipped on its head, which is everybody has access to this amazing tech. There's still plenty of people out there with tech stacks that don't enable them to do things because they don't talk well to each other. I hear things out of the, the Shopify ecosystem of actually we've, well, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, but none of the apps talk to it together, which causes a whole load of other, certainly unnecessary workload but, and things falling through the cracks every now and then. But so I think that there's plenty of, people on setups which are disenabling them but it's no longer a yeah if we can do the right website if we can have a mobile app we'll jump ahead of everybody that's no longer the scenario so i think it becomes more difficult for the e-commerce brand to work out what tech they should have because i think also the the SaaS businesses the software businesses have got a lot better at at the marketing and explaining to people and the barrier to entry has become so low you know, back 15, yeah, 20 yeah. years ago, you had to spend two or three days creating the brief. It would take a week for your tech partners to come back to you. There was always an onboarding fee of a couple of grand. Um, so there was that kind of like forced sense checking as you went through it. Whereas now you can go ding, ding, ding. Oh, look, we've got new tech on the website. How exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that leads to people not doing the due diligence. So they end up with tech that isn't actually a good fit. It's like, especially if you consider areas like um, affiliates, I'll put affiliates in inverted commas because affiliates blurs into PR and blurs into influencers now. And there's very different types of affiliate, affiliate marketing platform, some of which are kind of traditional affiliate marketing platforms, some of which are influencer management, some of which are if you want to go and recruit people, you can run it on your own site. And I think the strategy comes first, the tech decision comes second. But a lot of people go, oh, there's an affiliate management tool with a great discount. I like the person who's selling it. I'll go with that. But actually, they bought this version of the tech when they actually needed that version of the tech. And I think you get the same thing in, in other areas of the tech stack as well, where people aren't really understanding what they need and then buying the solution that suits them. So, and I think I don't think you can take a great leap forward. You can't create a USP with tech anymore, but you can certainly make your life an awful lot more difficult. Yeah, and uh, I would I would go one step further. So because of this big competition now, you cannot build a SaaS business and so, solid software business by relying on features only. And uh, there is a guy I follow on LinkedIn. I think his name is Pep Laya. Mm -hmm. um ring 
he has a I don't know how to pronounce his name because he's from Estonia, but I think it's Peplaya. You can look him up on uh, LinkedIn. I'm just doing this. Ah, uh, cool. And I cannot find him, but <laughs> so he's isn't he's it a... always the way? <laughs> but uh, his first name is Pep for sure. He lives in Texas, and uh, but he's from Estonia, and uh, he always talks about this that. You cannot build a SaaS business anymore on features only. You have to build a brand for the software business itself and put out the founder's name, all of that. And I can see this uh, with email marketing tools and uh, SMS tools and, you know, all the different uh, parts of the e-commerce software ecosystem that, for example, SMS marketing, even if you come up with a new feature in two weeks, all the others, they will have the same feature. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me which one is better i i don't know i don't any is good just you know the pricing is different the support is actually a big part of it even more than the features so the the personal elements the human elements i think it became more important with these software companies that's what i can see yeah i agree with you and it is it's kind of scary how much new tech is being released into the space. I get a, an update yeah. each week of how many new apps have been launched on the Shopify app store. And that's just the Shopify app store. That's not taking yeah. into account WooCommerce, Magento, Shopline, Shopware, etc., Big Commerce, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's over 50. Every single week, over 50 apps have appeared wow. in the Shopify app directory, brand new ones. And it's like, we don't, I mean, like, I know e-commerce businesses have very different needs. And one that is the perfect app for one brand is the totally awful brand app for another brand. You know, there is an element of we need more than one loyalty app. We need more than one customer service app. We need more than one email, SMS app, et cetera. But 50 a week, I mean, that's that's like crazy numbers. More than and two thousand a year, or yeah, maybe even three thousand next year. Yeah, I was gonna try and do do those maths in my head, so I'm glad you did it, Daniel, because I was like, with this fluffy brain, I'm gonna come up with two point five million or something. It's gonna be completely wrong, so I'll try not. So yeah, two and two and a half thousand apps a year coming in, and it's it's mind boggling for the for the e-commerce business owner and. Yeah, but but, there, but then there are apps that are not just doing. Many of those apps are solving problems that haven't really been solved by other people, and many of them are opening up new opportunities in the tech space and new ways to do business. But it is kind of mind-boggling, and you think. I, I almost feel like there's a, you know, a, a course creator, an info marketer out there, someone somewhere going, right, guys. Last year it was Bitcoin. This year it's Shopify apps. If you don't have a Shopify app, you need a Shopify app. Here's the five-step process. So, you know, it's not it's not get get rich with the Amazon FBA anymore. It's get rich with it with a Shopify app. And it's you, I do wonder if that's if there's someone preaching that out there because I I, I don't... saw a few ads like that. Two or three guys. Yeah. So yeah. Pretty I, sure it's happening. Yeah. I don't think there's. I don't think the brands are demanding fifty new app opportunities a week. I don't think that's there. So, so I think the for brands, the skill, the really hot skill in the tech space is now to work out what you actually need. 
and not to get distracted by the bright shiny object so so often when the bright shiny object comes along and sorry everyone a bright shiny object is you're walking along and you see something you get totally distracted by it because it's really bright and shiny yeah. and interesting and it takes you off course but quite often you know I, I hear from brands and you know they've got oh we've just going back to a point you made earlier they we just we've just installed a new sms piece of tech i'm like doesn't doesn't your email system already do sms yeah but I'm like, what why have you got a second one why aren't you using and well that's a really obvious one but often you know there's a huge we're seeing a lot of the big tech pieces consolidating and bringing new stuff into play now yeah if if their sms doesn't do what you want it to do i don't can't see how it couldn't because SMS is pretty straightforward, but if that doesn't do the one bit you need it to do, then yeah, fair enough, go and find another tool. But I think we need to get better at looking at the tech we've already got and how we can use that, but also getting much clearer about what do we actually need from our tech? What are the campaigns we want to run? How do we want to communicate with our customers? What are the problems we're trying to solve? And then finding the, the tech that does that. And I think that's, that's where the brands are going to have to get better in reaction to what's going on in the space at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about next year. What uh, overall trends are you expecting? Or maybe you can already see in e-commerce, e-commerce tech. Oh, man. So um, I'm, I'm pausing slightly because I'm still, I'm still in the process of trying to, to get all my thoughts on this down into some kind of blog post or something in the next couple of weeks. The... <laughs> I think we're going to see, and this spans both tech, marketing and, and strategy across the whole lot. I think in 2024, we're going to have another tricky year in terms of consumer spending, but I think it's going to feel easier because we've got used to it this year. You know, I think, I think we've all now fully adapted to the fact that the, the COVID pandemic boom, seems a horrible phrase to use, but that is now over and we're back to, to a normal a, a version of normality, which in the UK is probably going to be bleaker than it's going to be in the rest of the world, but where we are dealing with, with you know, with, with lower consumer spend amounts. So it's going to be an interesting year where we're going to have to be cleverer marketers, we're going to have to be cleverer brand owners and so forth. So I think that's kind of like the background we're working against. Then I think what I'm seeing a lot of brands really getting into at the moment is wholesale, wholesale and okay. B2B e-commerce, um, an area where you can very easily get confused with the tech and end up buying the sledgehammer yeah. when really what you needed was, um, you know, a little teeny tiny pickaxe of some description. Um, so I think that is is an interesting arena that we're, we're moving into. And then I also think kind of allied with that, we are moving into a world where affiliates is going to become back with abandon. Uh, so I think it's going to be a big year for affiliate marketing merged with influence and merged with partnerships, partly because the success we're seeing with TikTok shop, where there is a very advanced affiliate program built into the network tiktok is so clever with some of this stuff um is going to open some brands eyes to go well we can do that on tiktok shop why aren't we partnering with people for our own system and what's interesting with the growth in wholesale and the growth in the affiliate piece is that it all relies on relationships not on the tech really not on um the traditional ways of marketing an e-commerce business, which is I'm going to hide at my desk and I'm not going to talk to anyone. 
I'm just going to send some emails. I'm going to look at the ones and the zeros on my spreadsheet and I'm going to optimize. No, we actually have to build relationships with our influencers if we want it to work with us. We need to build relationships with our affiliates. We need to build relationships with our wholesalers. We may even, shock horror, have to go to a trade show and uh, deal with people, which is a very different skill set. Frequently, the people who are great at the ones and the zeros e-commerce marketing are not great at the relationship building e-commerce marketing. So there's going to be, I think, a rebalancing of teams as well as a rebalancing of the tech to enable this and to make it, it work well for people. Because then, of course, that affiliate influencer piece bleeds into the loyalty program which then kind of all ends up bleeding into the UGC and the reviews platform piece as well. And I think that's going to be a fascinating space from a tech standpoint, as well as from a marketing and a strategy and a brand standpoint. Um, those are kind of some of the the big stuff that I, I can't see not happening. The piece which I really want, really, really, really want to see happening is there to be more of a sustainability push. Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Can, I mean, can we, sorry, can yeah, we sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just going off on one, aren't I? Sorry, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, let me come back to this. Let's so pause. <laughs> you, you, you said, um, so wholesale online it yeah it will happen more online and i can definitely see the same in my company with our with, with our agency we can also see more and more d2c businesses they open up their wholesale or or a big part of their sales uh, come from you know that channel and then you mentioned affiliates influencers mm-hmm. even trade shows so as you said um you know those channels where you really have to build out human relationships and uh, I have a few e-commerce friends. We always have deep talks. And one of them, they are they grew very nicely this year and last year as well. And uh, they always use meta ads, sometimes Google ads or maybe TikTok. But even them, uh, for, for two years, I, I told them, hey, maybe you should think about retail, brick and mortar, wholesale, all of that. And they uh, always told me that, okay, but that's very slow to grow. So... It's better to use PPC. And mm-hmm. last month, they just started uh, getting into brick and mortar stores. So uh, I think they realized this opportunity. And I can see more and more brands doing that. PPC might sound as an easy way, but it's not easy and definitely not cheap <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's how I see it. Um, and also, it's a different skill set, that's for sure, than, than PPC. Yeah. Um, so I can see the same trends and then what new apps it will, uh, bring next year. That's another thing. Uh, maybe 50 new apps a week. We'll see <laughs> on only in this field. Could um, be. Yeah. Could quite we'll easily see. be. Yeah. Um, and why wholesale has never really been, uh, as e-commerce focused as D2C, for example. Yeah, I think I think it's um I'm not I'm not to be honest, I'm not really sure why suddenly the growth in wholesale selling has has kicked off. I suspect it's a reaction, you know, it's a mix of a reaction to the falling off of meta as an obvious choice for sales. 
um, you know, a lot of D2C brands were making huge volumes of sales driven almost entirely by Facebook ads. And if that suddenly yeah. drops off a cliff, you're like, I need volume. Where am I going to find volume? And the easiest way to find volume is to find someone who's willing to buy 100 units at a time rather than yeah, one unit yeah. at a time. Um, but of course, the margin's not so good. And then you end up with this whole, I've got the stock coming in. Do I give it to the wholesale customers or do I keep it for my own? And you, you know, it's, it's there's quite a lot more complexity involved in it. So I think, I think the fall off of the the recently traditional uh, ad, you know, uh, demand generation sources is one of them. I think also we've seen uh, wholesale get more of a sexy billing if you can say it's like okay. it's no longer seems like the the dark yeah. murky aspect and i think that's heavily down to um fair f-a-i-r-e which is this wholesale marketplace that looks like a beautiful furniture store as you log on to it you know it, it doesn't look like the massive halls of a of a wholesale trade show and they've been really aggressive growing the idea of wholesale for D2C brands selling to, you know, boutiques and smaller companies. And it's been a very low risk way for a D2C brand to start looking at it because the payment terms are favorable for everybody. Um, and fair, one of the ways Fair have grown, which I think is hugely clever, is they've kind of incentivized their sellers, the D2C brands, to recruit wholesalers onto, you know, buyers onto the platform by going, get your, your first £500 order you get for free if you place it on fair. Hmm. And it's like, well, let's, let's make our sellers recruit our buyers. Brilliant. Very, very clever, clever marketing. Yeah. So I think a lot of brands have understandably taken advantage of that. You know, if you can turn around to a, to a potential chain of, you know, three or four retailers and go, actually, you can get 200 quid of our product for free if you buy it this way. You know, uh, yeah, here's 200 quid of free product. See if it sells. Come back and buy some more. It's a it's a very attractive route to market. So I think that's come into it as well. So I think it's economic forces, marketing forces, and then just a general general chattiness about the opportunities of wholesale. Um, you know, lots, there seems to be more noise about it. It seems to be seen as more of a an interesting and exciting route to market. Yeah, yeah. So now let's talk about sustainability. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's go come, back. Come back to that one. So um, I am, these days I am as interested in how our industry can reduce its negative impact on the planet, which is vast. We are a horrible industry for the planet. Um, if you take the pure e-commerce bit, we are slightly better than retail, as in physical retail, but the whole shebang is not good for the planet. Um, and as I am interested in how you create a successful e-commerce business, and I don't think those two things have to be counter to each other. I think you can have a successful business that minimizes its impact on the planet. So one of the ex most exciting areas in e-commerce tech at the moment is the technology that's coming along to help brands solve their sustainability challenges. Like two or three years ago, the idea of running a buyback scheme 
to recondition product or set up a secondhand market was clunky. It was difficult. It was super complicated, super difficult. There's now apps out there that you can bolt onto your store and very quickly integrate with your loyalty program to run buyback schemes, you know, so fed up, you know, you, you're no longer interested in that skirt, that dress, let us buy it back or recondition it, resell it secondhand. You'll get points to spend in the store and so forth. Or um, likewise, uh, refurbishment programs. So we'll buy, buy it back and then sell it refurbished or we'll repair. All these things are now coming through on the tech stack to make it an awful lot easier for brands to do this. There's also, you know, we hear a lot about the expense of returns, but the the carbon or the you know the bad impact on the planet of returns is vast as well. I mean, the most of them end up in landfill, so which is just cra- crazy in so many levels. But there are many many programs coming on to make returns less likely. Like this one piece of software out there, which have proved that by Pre, they can have a positive impact on your returns, right? I.e. reduce it with nudges to the customer before the customer even checks out, which is kind of mind-blowing to think we can, yeah. I never thought we could tackle it at that point. So there's there's very clever things coming in, some of which are sold as sustainability tech, some of which aren't, but which I hope will help brands take a leap forward on improving the sustainability of their business. And the thing is, this kind of sustainability improvements improves your profit as well if you can reduce your returns rate it improves your profitability if and there's some really clever ones on the front end of deciding how much you buy and when you buy it if you don't buy more stock than you need you improve your profitability whilst benefiting the planet so there's it's not like oh god we've got to rework our entire supply chain and it's going to cost us millions this is stuff which is good for your business and massively good for the planet as well so i'm i'm really excited to see how that comes to bear next year and i and kind of as a side plot to that i really hope some of the big tech stack people in our industry get a lot more noisy about what they are doing to be sustainable following shopify's footprints um or footsteps on this front um but also get to take more steps to become more sustainable themselves as brands um and go beyond just slightly less plastic tat to give away at trade shows, which, you know, is definitely a thing now. There's definitely less crappy freebies available at trade shows, but there's a lot more people could do with green hosting and, you know, various other steps that it would be great to start seeing them doing. Yeah, and you brought up a big piece of it, which is, uh, I think, sustainability is great, but we have to make this profitable and more profitable for companies otherwise it's just a hassle for many i mean not everyone not everyone's default thinking is sustainability so um but the yeah. but the fascinating thing is those there's been some research done in the uk on b corps so mm-hmm. b corp uh, for anyone who's not familiar with it it's kind of like the it's not really a gold standard, but it's the best we've got in terms of proving that your business is doing the right thing for people, planet, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's a long and process to get. Yeah, it's a really course. tricky process. There's, there's a lot of holes in it. They admit it's not perfect, but it's the best we've got. Um, it's the hardest one to get. And actually, caveat, I don't know that. It seems very hard to get and it's the one that everyone likes. Um, so I can't say it's the hardest one to get because I haven't tried to get it. But 
they did some research here in the UK of tracking businesses that were B Corps over a couple of years versus businesses that weren't B Corps. And the mm -hmm. growth rate of the businesses that were B Corps was like two or three times those that weren't B Corps. So actually, when you take sustainability to the true heart of your business, to your mission, to it becomes something you live and breathe in every decision you'll make, your business actually becomes better. And if you want to be profitable over the next five, 10 years, then fundamentally our world is changing and you're going to have to start adapting to it. But but yeah, there's if, if you take the the basics of sustainability, the basics of saving the planet are we as individuals need to consume less. We as businesses need to consume less. And at the moment in our industry, there is huge amounts of waste in consumption, both in terms of consumers buying stuff they don't want, because um, there's that stuff they return. There's the stuff that sits in the wardrobe or in in the cupboard for eight years uh, before ending up in landfill unused. Um, but there's also the waste at the beginning of the production process and in the middle of the production process, sitting in all your warehouses right now, not selling for Christmas. And if we can reduce all of that, then clearly you become more profitable. You're selling more products at full price rather than having to discount them because you bought too much in the first place. If you can take the waste out of, you know, of your production process, then the cost of production goes down. It's, yeah. it, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but fundamentally the principles are that this should become a more cost-effective way to build a business, which in the in the sense of being a, a business that can sustain over the long term is something which, you know, it just has to happen as a result of that. But I'm getting preachy, Daniel, and it's, it's not good when I get preachy, so I'll stop. I agree. I agree with this. So, uh, and this is a process for sure, but I think we are on the right track. It will take uh, years and, you know, we can always improve on this, how things are done. So, yeah. But but I mean, the good thing at the moment is if you're just about to start on this journey, there is now tech in place to help you do a lot of it. Yeah. There are now case studies of brands who have done it, who are all so willing to share how they've done it because their mission is, is not about just, yeah, we just make our business great for the planet and everyone else can destroy the planet, but at least we mm. didn't do it. No, they're after the whole helping the whole industry. So there's so much help and advice out there in terms of, um, asking those who are already on the journey and also in terms of the tech to make it so much easier to do it that um it is it it i think i, I really hope 2024 is where we start to see a faster a faster impact and i have to say since since it became a, a core part of my mission it's it's been amazing how much the change has been faster than i thought it would be so it's probably not as fast as it needs to be, but it, but it is speeding up and the industry is becoming a lot more aware of it. Yeah, and uh, just a side topic, I really like those companies where they have a measurable and trackable goal connected with their sales or order numbers, anything like that. Um, yeah, I think uh, I talked to someone, he, he was from the UK, I think. So they uh, want to achieve 1 billion fortified meals for kids in Africa. They uh, put different nutrients into the food. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, you know, some meals, but uh, they put some vitamins into it, minerals, all of that. And uh, if you buy product from their store, then they give one meal or five meals. I don't remember the number, but it's it's all connected and... 
I, I really like this because it's trackable, connected with your number. So it incentivizes people to buy more. So I think that's smart. And now there are these trackers, there are many companies who can help you to actually deliver those meals. Or in my company, we plant trees. Uh, we have some funny photos. You couldn't even uh, imagine where you can plant a tree. I think we had someone who planted a tree at the top of some volcano in Italy. <laughs> so <laughs> you can be creative on this. Um, but that's that's one of the, the you know you mentioned about tying it to a a trackable sustainability goal whether that's you know feeding feeding people who need to be fed whether it's giving books to people who don't have books um or you know or planting trees it it gives you two two extra things as a business one it gives you um stories to tell your customers and as we know as we as our industry becomes more competitive you know the land grab is over we are now all fighting over the same land there isn't land to go and grab anymore so we've got to become better marketers and what consumers want is story and information and connection so it gives us something to talk about on that front and then if you do something which uh giles smith from the sustainability sustainable e-commerce podcast taught me about this at the beginning of this year it's purpose 2.0 so it's not we are giving meals to kids in Africa. It's not we are planting trees. It's by buying this product, you, you, Mr. Customer, have fed mm -hmm. five kids in Africa. You yeah. have planted this. And at the end of the year, you send an email going, thanks to your work, lovely customers, we have planted, together we have planted, We, you have fed. And that flip to making it the customer's achievement rather than your achievement as a business in marketing can have a really, really positive impact on recommendations, referrals, repeat purchases, and so forth. So it's um, really pleased you made that because that is such a, it's such a clever marketing piece. And it's where I think a lot of the sustainability stories of what you're doing on the sustainability <clears throat> front can have a really positive impact in your marketing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I, I really like this way of thinking that you, Mr. Customer, you plant the tree. And probably the first time when I saw this, uh, it was something like you can adopt an elephant, something you can adopt an animal basically mm -hmm. in a zoo or somewhere and uh, adopt a penguin. I could see different examples. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was the first uh, time when I, I saw this. Um, Chloe, so. Uh, these are the closing thoughts for today. I don't know if there's anything else you want you want to share for next year. I think that's given everyone enough to talk about <laughs> and think yeah. about. But I think, yeah, you, you've got a mixture of what I hope and what I really think is going to happen in there. So uh, a little bit of something for everybody, I hope. Yeah, maybe next December we can discuss what happened. Yeah, yeah we'll have to have a, a listen back and see how appallingly yeah. wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So... Um, thanks again and thanks everyone who listened to this uh, podcast every week we come out with a new episode and I will put all the links into the description I also find this guy so his name is actually Pep Laya just with double E um, I think that's some kind of nickname so I will put his link uh, into the description he has more than 60,000 followers as well oh. on LinkedIn so he's a he's a smart guy um yeah, so thanks again, everyone. Stay tuned and um, yeah, stay tuned. Have a great day.